0: This morning scripture is taken from 2 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 14. And as you can see we are returning to the Old Testament, but this time we'll be following not Elijah as I told the kids, but Elisha. Sometimes I wish God would choose, you know, a little different name. It's easier to follow when you do that. People get confused with Elijah and Elisha. But where we find Elijah, he had just been past the mantle. Now, the mantle was the cloak that the prophet of God wore. And Elijah had just given it to Elisha Elijah, before he had been taken up in the flaming chariot. Remember, he went up to heaven in a flaming chariot. Talk about an exit. I guess that's a way to make an exit, right? So we pick up the scriptures, following that, and it has been some time since Elijah has left. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with a prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the land of Israel had said, and the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and ten sets of garments. (laughs) He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give life or death that this man sends word to me to cure this other man of leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard what the king of Israel had done, had torn his clothing, he sent a message to his king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and he would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you have not done it? How much more then when all he said was, Wash and be clean. So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy. He was clean and joyful. May, the, may God add blessings to the reading of the Holy Word. And this is the start of the sermon, by the way. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Are you sure? <laughs> Those of you who were here last week know why we're laughing. But... And she even, I wasn't going to tell Peter, but she told Peter. So, <laughs> As I said, Elisha is now the prophet of God in Israel. He's established. And as we also found out, we've been introduced to General Naaman of the Arameans, Well, another word for the Arameans, of course, are the Syrians. The general is a great warrior. He'd conquered many people for his king. And he seemed to have everything that anyone could want. He had position. He had power. He had money. He had possessions. He had the respect of his king. He had servants from the people that he had conquered. However, he had something that nobody wanted, and that was, of course, leprosy. Yep, you've heard of leprosy. I kind of couched it a little bit with the kids, because leprosy can be extremely bad. It's that skin disease that at, worst, or at best can leave you with open sores on your skin that itch like crazy, and in some cases, your skin can rot and fall off. No one wanted leprosy, especially Naaman. Now, it just so happened that one of the servants that he had, the servant to his wife, was from Israel. And she said to her mistress, it's too bad that Naaman isn't in Israel or Samaria, where Elisha is from, because he could cure him of his leprosy. Well... You know, when the wife hears this, who's she going to tell? She's going to tell her husband, right? So Naaman, upon hearing this, goes to the king, says, look, there's somebody in Israel that can cure me. So the king says, I want you to be cured. You're my best general. So I'm going to send you to the king of Israel with a letter from me, and I'm going to send gold and silver and lots of clothes and see if we can't make this happen for you. So Naaman heads off to Israel, but when he arrives, the king of Israel is scared to death. He doesn't know how to cure this general, and he's afraid that he's being set up, that if he doesn't cure the general, the king will march against him, right? So he rips his clothes, which is something that happens in the Old Testament when you get really frustrated. I don't know why it is, but they do. Rend your clothes. Luckily, Elisha hears what's going on, and he sends to the king of Israel and says, don't worry, send Naaman to me. So Naaman, his whole entourage of soldiers, horses, and chariots, as well as gold, silver, and all those clothes arrive at Elisha's front door, expecting the prophet to come out and meet him. Well, that might be what Elisha, or what Naaman expected, but that's not what happened. Instead, Elisha sent a messenger out to him and told him to tell Naaman, go down to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times, and you will be made clean. Now, as I said, this wasn't what Naaman was expecting, and when Naaman didn't get what was he was expecting, he got upset, to say the least. Angry as all get out would be better. So he turned on his heels, he and his chariots and soldiers, and they were, he sped away, muttering to himself, don't you know who I am? You ever heard somebody say that to you? Don't you know who I am? I am Naaman. I'm the most powerful, respected, and successful general around. I came to you to be healed. I expect you to come out and meet me to wave your hand over me call on your on the name of your god cure me but no you send a lackey out instead to meet me and tell me to go take a dip in the river jordan that's a disgusting little creek compared to the rivers that we have back home that's just insulting now luckily for naaman he had some servants that were a little more level headed and they were really concerned for their boss, and before he could do something rash, they said to him, look, General, with all due respect, if this prophet had asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? Yeah, I guess so. Well, all he's asking you to do is go down to the River Jordan and wash yourself seven times. Well, suddenly it seemed to make sense to Naaman. His rage dissipated and he went down to the Jordan and he did as the prophet told him to do. And suddenly his flesh was like that of a young boy. He was clean and, as you might suspect, he was filled with joy and gratitude. Now, have any of you ever balked at what God is asking you to do? Maybe it was too big Maybe it was too small, and by small, I don't mean insignificant, because when God asks us to do something, there is no insignificance. Maybe it wasn't the right time. Maybe it was something you didn't want to do. Maybe you don't think God has ever asked you to do much of anything. I kind of doubt that, because, you see, I believe God is asking us all the time to do something in our lives, right? Sometimes it's big but most often, it's one of those small things that when you put them all together, they make big things happen. Oftentimes, it's something we can do without a lot of problem, right? It might be help with SOS or Vacation Bible School or the Welcome In, or maybe it's make a prayer shawl for somebody or pray for someone or any number of things. Now, I have a confession to make. Those of you who know me, know that I was a bit reluctant to go into the ordained ministry. Perhaps it was more, it's more accurate to say that I was willing to go, but on my terms, kind of like Na- Naaman. I had expectations just like Naaman. I, like my mentor, who was a United Methodist pastor, had gone to Yale Divinity School, where I wanted to go, and where, of course, Peter graduated from. Not that I hold that against him. (laughs) But I wanted to go there right after I graduated from the University of Windsor. But I wasn't accepted on my initial try. Something about late transcripts or something. I don't know. And though I had been accepted at Drew, out in New Jersey, and Southern Methodist, and Duke, I wanted to go to Yale, so I was going to wait a year and reapply and get my transcripts in on time. However, things don't go as we plan often in life, don't they? Instead of a year, it was seven and a half years. In the meantime, I worked in the insurance business and then in the automotive paint and supply business. And I was doing pretty well financially. Then came a chance for me to double my salary. One of our suppliers came to me and said, we'd like you to go and open a warehouse for us. You be in charge of it. It would have doubled my salary. It would involve me uprooting my family and moving down to Indiana. However, the week before I had that offer made to me, I had finally decided I was going to listen to God's calling. I had decided I was going to go back to seminary. And no, it wasn't going to be Yale. Instead, it was going to be Methesco, the Methodist Theological School in Ohio, down just real close to Columbus, The ironic thing was that about half of my professors had graduated from this place called Yale. I bet God got a kick out of that. And it had gotten much more complicated in those seven and a half years. Instead of just Barb and I, now we had two kids and a mortgage. But it all worked out. God has a way of helping us do what God wants us to do if we just listen, take a chance by taking that dip and follow. Now, of course, I didn't make a lot of money as a pastor. Far from it. In fact, it took me over, oh, about 20 years to make the salary I'd been offered at our supplier. But I never regretted turning down the money to follow where God was calling. And that's not unusual when you go into the ministry. My story is not unique. There are a lot of people who have done what I did, So it's not about how much money I might have made if I had stayed in business. Instead, it's about faith and doing what God and God's prophets ask us to do. Think, if Naaman hadn't gone down to the River Jordan and washed himself seven times, he never would have gotten cured of his leprosy. If I hadn't gone to seminary, I would have never had the fulfillment I experienced of being an important part of so many people's lives, through baptisms, marriages, funerals, graduations, confirmations, anniversaries, and so many other times, to say nothing of all the friends that we've made over the years and the way we've been able to impact people's lives. I suppose it could be said that I made a sacrifice financially to go where God was calling me to go, but nowhere near as much of a financial sacrifice as someone else whose life and ministry impacted me a lot. And that's a couple of people by the name of Linda and Millard Fuller. Millard's goal in life was to be a self-made millionaire by the time he was 30 years old, and guess what? He did it. He and Linda had all the things most of us think we want. He had a big house, fancy car, house on the lake, the boat, all the trappings. But even though life seemed good, Millard worked way too much. He was interested in making money and more money. Finally, his wife Linda had had enough, and she took off. She left him. Luckily, Millard was bright enough to follow her. When he finally caught up to her, they sat down and they talked for a long time. And she said, Miller, things have to change. Life is about much more than how much money we can make. You're working all the time. I never get to see you. And besides, there's more to life. Well, he listened. And they set out on a journey that would eventually lead them to a man named Clarence Jordan, in rural Georgia near Americas. Clarence had been helping the poor, especially African Americans, since the mid-1940s. Hear that again. Clarence had been helping African Americans in rural Georgia since the mid-1940s. Guess what? The KKK didn't like that at all and for years had threatened him, bullied him, and he wouldn't stop helping That's who they came to on this journey. He was a theologian and a writer. And one of the things he wrote was something called the Cotton Patch Gospels. It was the gospel told through modern southern vernacular. In other words, y'alls were in it, okay? And when I say modern southern vernacular, I'm sorry. Sometimes that's like an oxymoron, isn't it? But what he also did is to make it more relevant to the people, he replaced the biblical names with cities from Georgia. Jerusalem became Atlanta. Gainesville became Bethlehem. And it was a transformational time for Millard and Linda, studying the scriptures under Clarence's tutelage, working with him to better the lives of the poor people around until they finally made a decision to go to Africa and help build homes in partnership with people in need over there. After a few years, they returned to the United States in 1976. 1976, let's see. That's the 200th anniversary of our country, isn't it? They started a new ministry called Habitat for Humanity. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, it was not Jimmy Carter that started <laughs> Habitat. You don't know how many times I've talked to people about habitat and heard them say, oh, you mean the thing Jimmy started? I no. Jimmy was wonderful. He got involved in 1984 in New York City when he happened to see what uh, Millard and Linda were doing. And Millard challenged him. He said, if you think this is good, come on and help us. And that was the beginning of the Jimmy and Rosalind work project. And I've been fortunate enough to be on five of those around the world. It was also helpful, though, to have President Carter's name when I and 10 other people started Habitat for Humanity in Saginaw in 1986 because it gave us instant name recognition. I could say, well, about Millard and Linda Fuller, and this is Habitat for Humanity, and I'd say, and the thing that former President Carter is involved Oh, I know what you're talking about. However, without Millard and Linda hearing God's call and taking the chance on faith to follow where God was leading, millions of people around the world would still be living in shacks instead of... Simple, decent, affordable homes they built and bought in partnership with Habitat for Humanity. Now, my friends, sometimes God calls us to do big things and make what seem like big sacrifices. And at other times, God calls us to do smaller things, like putting aside our pride. You see, that's what Naaman had to do, wasn't it? He was a big shot. He had power. He had position. He was in favor with his king. He had wealth and all the trappings. What he didn't have was his health. And those of us who have been sick at one time or another, and most of us have, right, know that it's literally a pain when you don't have your health. Well, for Millard, it wasn't his health that was, he was in danger of losing. It was something much more precious, much bigger, much more important to him, the love of his wife. What Leonard and Naaman both had to exercise was their trust in God. And in it, they found fulfillment and gladness. Now, I know it's not easy to trust in this world, especially today. As we look around the world, sometimes we wonder, who the heck can we trust, right? Everyone seems to be telling us something they think we want to hear. Oftentimes, they're trying to sell us something, a product, a service with disclosures written so small and moving across the TV screen so fast, you can't read those. Why? Why? They don't want you to know what it says down there. That's why it's in small letters and moves so quick. It's all about selling products, making money, and yes, I'm jaded. They don't want you to know what the side effects are or the drawbacks. In politics, forget it. Who can you trust, right? Well, my friends, we can trust God. We can trust God's son, Jesus, and we can trust God's spirit. Trust in faith, have faith in God, and last week I said we need to listen. That's still true. Millard listened to Linda. Naaman finally listened to what the prophet was telling him to do. Yes, the world can be a cynical place, make it hard for us to trust anything or anyone. But you see, we are made in God's image, and as such, we are not satisfied until we connect with God at the very depths of our beings. That's when we strive to be as truly and fully human as God intends us to be. Think about that, to be truly human. What's that mean? Again, that means to love each other, to work together, to share together, right? When we strive to be truly and fully human as God intends us to be, listen to these words from Frederick Beekner, Presbyterian pastor and one of my favorite authors, who writes, The world is full of dark shadows, to be sure, both the world without and the world within, and the road we've all set off on, which is long and hard, and often hard to find. But the word is trust. Trust the deepest intuitions of your own heart. Trust the deepest intuitions of your own heart. Why? Because in that trust, we find the source of our own true gladness. We find God. So trust the road, and above all else, trust God. Trust God, he writes. You see, it's trust like that that leads to real fulfillment and gladness, whether it's something that involves changing your whole life, like going into the ministry, or giving up millions of dollars to start Habitat for Humanity, or something completely different, like going down to the Jordan River and washing yourself seven times to be cured of leprosy, or volunteering on a Habitat house or making a meal for the workers, or any number of other things that we can do because we can all do something. Last week I said we need to listen for God's still small voice to hear where God is calling us. This morning I'm saying we need to listen and trust what God is calling us to do. Trust enough to follow where God is leading each of us because God has a plan, and it involves all of us. It involves each of us. Pastors, prophets, even millionaires willing to give up everything can't do it alone. We need each other doing what God calls us to do, working together for the welfare of all of God's children, all of humanity. Do we really want to make America great? Well, my friends... That's when we're all working together, regardless of what faith we practice, what color we are, what sexual orientation we are. It also doesn't matter whether it seems to be a big task or what we might think is a small task. We merely have to trust and do what God is asking us to do, to to take that dip, if you will, And we'll find fulfillment and gladness that life has to offer us. And also, the world will be a much better place, a world filled with trust, love, and real peace. Amen, my friends.